It's Divas That Care Radio. Stories, strategies, and ideas to inspire positive change. Welcome to Divas That Care, a network of women committed to making our world a better place for everyone. This is a global movement for women, by women, engaged in a collaborative effort to create a better world for future generations. To find out more about the movement, visit divasthatcare.com after the show. Right now, though, stay tuned for another jolt of inspiration. Welcome to Powering Through Life on the Deepest That Care Network. I'm your host, Teresa Sims, and I'm a transformational life coach, an award-winning author, and a multiple number one best-selling co-author. Each week on Powering Through Life, my guests and I will discuss a special topic that is close to their heart. Together, we will explore the challenges they have faced in life and learn what strategies and tools they have used to power through their lives. So welcome to Powering Through Life. Hey, and welcome to Powering Through Life. I have a really awesome guest for you today, and she is a dear friend of mine, and I consider her a dear friend, and she lives in the same town as I do, and her name is Tammy Murray. And Tammy, welcome to Powering Through Life to start with. I'm so glad you're here today. Well, thank you for having me, Teresa. This is lovely. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one for a while, and I'm <laughs> glad you agreed to it. And uh, would you please uh, give us a background on yourself for our listeners today? Um, well, as you said, I am a born and raised Woodstonian, so I'm a small town rural girl. Um, but uh, I think, you know, growing up in uh, a rough part of town in the town of Woodstock and uh, uh, but from an academic perspective, I guess I could speak more freely. I am uh, a social worker, so I have a master's degree in social work. I also have an honors degree in social work, as well as a child needs worker diploma. And I've been social services for, um, I'm like dating myself for about over 30 years. So I've been doing, I do a great deal of counseling and uh, uh, work focus, as you know, a lot on cognitive behavioral therapies and those types of things, psychotherapies those types of things and I happen to also own a private practice here in Woodstock called Diversity Counseling um, and uh, but my history is actually working in mental health I spent about 15 years working for London Psychiatric Hospital and uh, so I worked a lot in mental health and then after leaving medical social work I actually worked for the Canadian Armed Forces an organization called Military Family Resource uh, Services sorry Military Family Resource Center uh, for Southwestern Ontario. And I was what they call a family liaison officer. So I worked primarily with the families of the fallen. So, um, and uh, in 2018, as I said, I left uh, working in London and commuting for 30 years and opened a private practice here in Woodstock, Ontario. So I am also a proud mother of two beautiful girls. One is 16 and one is 12. And uh, I'm a single parent, but co-parent effectively, I believe, with their other parent as well. So I have to brag about them a little bit as well. So. Well, why not? They're absolutely fantastic girls for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I like the topic we're going to be discussing today. It's survivor's guilt, life mm -hmm. after the loss of a loved one. And I know this has affected both of you and I very personally and a lot of other people. So we know we're not alone in this situation. Yeah. Can you describe what survivor's guilt is for us? 
Um, I can. I might backstep a little bit and just tell a little more of my story and why it's relevant both sure. for me personally and professionally. So I want to make sure I touch base on both of those things. Yes. Um, so in 1991, uh, ironically, on my 21st birthday, making poor choices, I fell asleep at the wheel driving a car and I hit several things and landed on a tree and uh, was very, very lucky to survive that act. Um, and continue my journey, obviously finishing school and doing what I needed to do. And um, three years later, uh, bizarrely, my brother, Larry, uh, did the exact same thing. He had been out and uh, he drove home in the middle of the night and had a very similar car accident, fell asleep at the wheel. Unfortunately, he did not survive. Uh, so I spent a great deal of my 20s really querying and reflecting on why, you know, can two siblings have the exact same experience and one sibling still be here in front of us today and the other one not. So it was uh, psychologically a lot of internal reflection and a lot of guilt. And I think, you know, survivor's guilt has the name in it. <laughs> you know, you've, you, you don't understand what is it, you know, I think philosophically we start to look a little more as what is our purpose? What is it, you know, what are, why am I here? Why are they not here? As well as we also resonate in the guilt of, the loss of the person who isn't here and you know kind of reflect on maybe it should have been me and why wasn't it me yeah. a, 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 an interesting psychological game that we will play with ourselves uh let alone the that we go through anyway as we know guilt is one of the processes of grief uh so i think after the experience after my car accident i'll be honest i never thought of it i was like oh yay i'm good to go you know i'm not overly damaged i have a few you know scars that i can continue to see but nothing that's going to debilitate me for the rest of my life um so i just moved through it you know life went on become you know bounce back be resilient like we are and then I think when in 1993, when Larry died, um, it really, you know, that that whole survival aspect of um, my own accident. And, you know, I really didn't think about it a whole lot after I healed. After the physical scars were gone, I was like, OK, let's move on. Let's, you know, let's let's put it in the past, because if I focus on it, I'm just going to focus on negative and guilt and shame. Um, and I think once Larry died, uh, you know, through his accident, it really forced me to be more self-reflective and look at what is, you know, wh what was the incident and what was my role in it? What was my responsibility, but also reflecting on, you know, why am I still standing here and why is he not, you know? So I think that guilt, Yeah. I think that's a long explanation, but I think there is a, you know, to have that backdrop is, is helpful just to understand, you know, that, that association. And the other ironic is that he is only my only full biological sibling. That also makes it very, very difficult, doesn't it? And, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those unexpected deaths and unexpected situations that occur. And where, when, or what did you decide? Sorry, what did you decide was your answer? Or did the answer come to you why you were still here and he was not? Oh. That journey still continues some days, you know. Um, I will tell you, it was prompting factors for me to continue my academics. Um, I felt I had an obligation. I think that's where the guilt really motivated me. I felt I had an obligation in this that I had to, you know, I had to, I couldn't take this time for granted. Uh, and it, certainly in my 20s and in my mid 30s, it kind of burnt me out, to be honest with you, um, because I really, you know, I felt it was my obligation to 
of my time um, and not take any of that time for granted, considering that, you know, they're, you know, I, I'm lucky to have it uh, in reflection. And so I think that that was, you know, in, in some ways motivating and in other ways debilitating, if it's, you know, a very interesting oxymoron there, because I think in some ways, to be more of a service oriented person. Um, not that I always wasn't, but I think it was, you know, certainly more reflection of what, what am I doing for society? Not just for people, but for society. I think it took a big look from a different lens, um, which is something I pride myself in doing more um, in this day and age. But uh, for certainly in that, in that recognition, I think my, I, it reflected more on what was my purpose, you know, and I don't think, you know, between in our 20s, we don't really think of that a whole lot, right? Sometimes our purpose is just getting out of the house, getting a life and getting done college. And it really gave me a pseudo mature lens of, you know, what is philosophically my purpose in this world versus what's my purpose in it as an individual um, and what can my contributions be. But as again, you know, in retrospect, it also put me in a place where I was probably doing more for other people than I ever was doing for myself, which I, you know, as you know, as we've talked about is a fabulous avoidance technique to coping with <laughs> The types exactly. of things that we need to cover with when it comes to grief, like, you know, the anger and the acceptance and those types of things. Yeah. Uh, so I think in reflection, that would probably be from a positive side. I think it was, you know, it was good to give me a better philosophical perspective. It took me outside of my own ego, if I could be frank. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on a negative side, I think it took me too far outside of my own ego in some ways. And it took me, you know, about my, and I'll be honest, it was when I had children that I started to pull back that, that I said, you know, I am, you know, I, I wasn't reflective. Of, I didn't even realize it actually um, until I had kids and went, hmm, how am I spending my time and energy and how do I want to spend that time and energy moving forward? Well, exactly. We need to be, we, I've been discussing that with a few other people this week and, you know, we, we talk about the list we're supposed to be on and you, you know, for me, I was always on no, I wasn't even on the list, I don't think, originally. And then I put myself on the list. But I still didn't really understand everything that was happening. And after my car accident, that was a total awakening. Like you say, it's, it's you don't understand why you're here. You don't understand why you're alive. Because I really shouldn't have been. Yeah. And, you know, you probably the same for you, right? And you wonder on what on earth is my purpose here? And you start searching and you go in one direction, you go in that direction, but you're still not dealing with the core issue of the grief. Grief, like you say, we're, oh, look, shiny object. Oh, look, avoidance of everything that we need to be focusing on. So I, you know, it, it speaks volumes of um, what we should be doing and what we don't do. So in talking about survivor's grief, what are a few tips that, you know, a person could incorporate into their life to be able to um, power through it? Or not necessarily power through it, but face it. You have to face it. You have to deal with it and process it, right? Yeah. I think for me was acknowledging it. I think first and foremost, because for the longest time I didn't. Right. I think for the longest time, I would rationalize it as, you know, resilience and capacity. Um, and I think if we could just recognize it and, and resonate in it and, and value that there is grief 
and that we are deflecting and <laughs> and we are avoiding and and sometimes we need to resonate and appreciate and i think for me a great deal of that avoidance was all sorry was really a lot of that avoidance was anger was anger at myself for mm -hmm. you know it was anger at my brother um you know and and so i think it was you know how do you move through that um, to that that phase of forgiveness for yourself and the phase of forgiveness for the other for for the loss of the other person right you know I think well, for a long time we we stuck it we get stuck in that especially if there are you know um, self-reflective reasons meaning in some ways you were somewhat responsible for that accident if I could be frank for right? the other person's accident yeah right and for my own quite frankly you know so I think that you know there's also that that resonating anger and guilt within yourself right and so I think in terms of coping you know as much as I think there's you know it's not instantaneous I think the recognition is the first part um and I think the you know the gratitude and the lost I actually know that's what I lost the gratitude and the appreciation you know, I think that, that, you know, instead I, for a long time, I focused on what I was missing, what I would had lost, what I wasn't going to get, you know, things like, well, my kids would never meet my brother, you know, they would only know a narrative of who he was. Um, he was not going to be at my wedding, he was not going to, you know, all the not, not, nots versus mm -hmm. focusing on, you know, the gratitude of the opportunities that I actually had. Right. And the gratitude of I'm still alive and I'm here and I'm a mother and I have a role to play yes. and I have a life to fulfill. Absolutely. And yeah, I totally yeah. get that. And I can see the anger towards your brother that mm -hmm. he left you. Mm -hmm. You know, it all makes sense, doesn't it? When you look at it and reflect on it that way. And Absolutely. Well, and I think it's, you know, I think it's just a normal anger of the lot, you know, and, I, and again, I think the anger of the right as I've explained it there you know the loss of opportunity moving forward and as I've said to you you know that's why I think being present in the you know where we are to ground it in the present is really important because what we'll do with survivors you know grief and and loss is we will go to the past or we'll go too far to the future right we'll focus on the loss of the future parents will do you know I think that's a normal thing you know loss of you know their child's future of what that picture looked like because we all have that picture right whether or not it comes into focus for our kids for our sibling or it is we care about we have that picture and I think sometimes it's that that loss of that picture that we tend to resonate and focus on versus like I said the gratitude of the gift of what was given right and um, what you can still appreciate in terms of the gratitude of, of your circumstance and your life, right? We can, you know, we can resonate in loss and stay in stuck in anger forever, um, which again, takes a lot of time and energy. <laughs> or we can say, you know what, I got to prioritize this, but I'm still going to acknowledge it. And I, and I think that's the, the, the difference between the avoidance. What I did for a long time was avoid, I didn't acknowledge. And I, uh, today I can, I can acknowledge the avoidance and I can acknowledge when I do it. Um, but I can also, you know, challenge myself and say, you know, yeah, you're, you know, you're just avoiding that. You don't, you know, you need to look at that and say, what is that about, you know? And so you reason your way around, um, the avoidance when it happens and then you understand why it's happening and then you take steps to make a change out of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think also, you know, um, valuing, I, I think it flips, you know, valuing the person and, and valuing your contribution as well, right? Because what we're really doing is grieving the loss of, of a life that we, that was 
Um, and in the same, li same life, we're trying to understand what is the life we are supposed to be. Yes. Does that make sense? So yeah. it's kind of like a, there's, it's almost like this ongoing conflictual challenge, uh, you know, and, and again, it's not present all the time. This has been many, many years for me. Um, but there are still days where I resonate and, you know, and I say, you know, why, what is my purpose? What is, you know, versus, and what would it have been like for him today? You know, especially after every birthday and after right well I always think of that what would it you know where would he be today you know as I turn 50 he turned 55 right oh yeah there you and, go and so yeah birthday so anniversary dates Christmas all those types of uh, events and dates that kind of sneak up and remind us and instead of taking it as a celebration of who he was what he stood for and you know uh I want to say what he could have been, but that doesn't quite fit. But um, who he was, I guess we need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate him and then acknowledge the loss of him. But we also need to celebrate you. Yes. And that was the challenge. I think that's the biggest conflict when it comes to survivor's guilt, right? But, you know, I also want to preface that we don't have to have very similar circumstances or, or situations, meaning you don't have to have, you know, a sibling with one car accident, another sibling. You can have survivor's guilt amount out having those incidences as well, right? And I will say that people who lose family, especially children or partners from suicide, will experience very, very similar experiences, right? So I think it's, you know, how do we resonate in that guilt? And, and I think, again, it's about appreciating the life versus, you know, focusing on, you just nailed it, actually, focusing on the future of what could have been, right? I, I call that the coulda, shoulda, uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda syndrome, right? <laughs> and, and we see, and we do see that a lot with death and with you know, they could have been this, they should have been this, this, you know, this wouldn't have happened if, you know, and, and I think that we, and again, I think it's a normal process, but we can't stay stuck in it. No. And I, I was just thinking, as you were speaking about that, that that's something that the military personnel would experience quite a bit too, is survivor's guilt and, and all those sorts of aspects of um, their jobs, their yeah. career choices. Yeah. We, uh, in the Canadian Armed Forces, we actually call that a moral conflict. Um, because it's exactly what it is, which is perfectly, perfectly aligned. Um, it's very similar with survival skills, right? Um, now it's part of their job, obviously. The moral conflict, we are taught right and wrong and, you know, that something shouldn't be done. And in line of their work, some things have to be done. And, you know, for, again, the bigger picture, right? And I think that that's also the, you know, that piece where I say, if we can kind of step outside of ourselves, and outside of that ego need that I think we have, you can see things a little differently. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do sometimes. I would agree with that totally. And I know for me, as you know, it took me a very, very long time to be able to step out of that and acknowledge what's, what's gone on and, and recognizing what was happening in my own world and in my little you know, bubble, I guess, if you want <laughs> that way. <laughs> Some of the, you know, and I want to le legitimize, I think when we experience grief and loss, that, that is where some things like anxiety and depression come into play. So I don't want to minimize some of that as well. I mean, there is some legitimacy to that, that we have to work through. And usually it's beyond working through some of that is where I'm, you know, I'm kind of looking at around whether or not it's survivor's guilt or, you know, just grief, loss and acceptance overall.
Right. Right. I mean, they're, they're very aligned. Um, I just think that we tend to, you know, certainly beat ourselves up a little more when it comes to survivors, survivors guilt. Oh, absolutely. Because you still, you just don't understand what the big picture is. And maybe it's not for us to really understand that big picture. But there's something to celestial prophecies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you put something in the universe and there's a perspective of, you know, it's there for a reason and who knows, right? But I, you know, and I think for some people, you know, I want to give credit. Um, It certainly wasn't a way for me, but I think faith can also be a component for people. You know, I think depending on your faith and what your faith is, there can be, you know, that aspect as well to to support kind of the the coping and, you know, whether or not it's people who feel spirituality that, you know, there's life after death or people who you know what I mean there's there's and I, I I never like to box anybody in you know I tend to you know look at things that you know people are with us whether or not it's memory and or you know in universe and so I think there's comfort in that as well but uh, again that's I, I think it's fair because there are a great deal of people who will will um, get support through spiritual guidance through loss, grief, right. and death, and and typically those are the resources as well that are available because you know that's you know kind of the support systems that can be made available through economical resources. But uh, right. for is stuck, uh, not getting stuck, and I think the coping is acknowledgement, acknowledging you know for a lot of people I just acknowledge. the the grief and how do we move through it and how do we appreciate it and value it you know I I don't I you know if I don't want to devalue that what somebody's experience is genuine to them and to their story right how does one go about um going through the uh the gratitude and the appreciation of of guilt I understand the the recognition of it Mm -hmm. well I do understand all three but I mean please explain (laughs) Well, I think a big piece of it is, is after the recognition is valuing it, right? And, 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 and identifying it. You know, I'm a big cognitive behavioral therapist, so you know me. I'm all about thought processes. Um, so, you know, when we're thinking in those realms, I want to challenge that. You know, I want to challenge, is it all negative thinking? Is it catastrophizing thinking? It would, you know, what, it, what are the tools that we're using to, you know, either resonate in it or move through it? Right. And, and I think the big thing is recognizing that, you know, uh, um, that we can move through it. The challenge, the other thing that I think we're not girl of how other people react to our grief. Yes. It's an uncomfortable situation. You know, some people don't want to talk about it. Some people want, you know, avoidance is a, is a, is a tool that we access for grief all the time. And I think that's where I would combat things. Sorry for the military language, but I would challenge things a little more in saying that, yeah, we do need to acknowledge that it's okay. Right. Where it's okay to move through it and we don't need to avoid it. You know, and I, I always get frustrated when people are like, yeah, well, I, you know, I, and I deal with this with a lot of um, military members and veterans, you know, people think they should just get over it. Well, we don't get over it. It actually becomes part of our capacity. It integrates right? We don't, you know, and that's, I think, part of the journey for me. That was a good lesson because what I was doing was avoiding. As long as I don't talk about it, as long as I don't bring it up, as long as nobody talks to me about it, we're all good. Everything's good, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and unfortunately, I chose a career where I had to be self-reflective and actually dive into my own junk, and that helped me resonate as well. Um, but I think that that avoidance, you know, and, and, and allowing other people to appreciate, you know, p- other people around us will avoid. 
you know, especially when it comes to a tragic loss, car accidents, uh, suicide, you know, unexpected death, you know, and youth can be a component of that, a death before the age of rationalization. When, for example, you know, if it's a great, great grandparent or somebody has been sick with cancer and suffering, we, oh, they're at peace. This is, you know, we can kind of bring that to a terms of, of acceptance. When it comes to a youth, a car accident, a suicide, there is no realm of, of rationale of acceptance. It's like, it shouldn't have happened. You know, it's wrong. And it goes against all that kind of, all the norms we know. So part of that is, you know, also just acknowledging that and recognizing that, no, this should not have happened. And yes, this is tragic and it's okay to acknowledge it that way, but people will avoid it. And their own avoidance, this is what I find interesting, will actually prompt the person who is grieving or dealing with survivor's grief um, to be more angry because it feels very invalidating. Because remember, they want to remember and resonate. They want to appreciate the person they've lost. They want to do Everybody around them wants to avoid it <laughs> because of their own comfort level. And I think that just goes to Western society's perspective on death, dying, and loss. Yeah. You know, um, resonate in the negative versus focusing on on the gift yeah exactly and you know like my husband always says when he when he passes away he wants it to be a celebration he doesn't want it to be you know crying and tears and all this kind of stuff but you know i i, I have a bit of a i'm not sure how i'm going to get through that yeah. <laughs> to be honest but you know um yeah and who's to say you know on this world what our lifespan is truly meant to be. Mm -hmm. It could be the 80, 90, 100 year old. It could be just 10, 15, 21, 25, all those sorts of things. We just don't know. And, but it is, like you said, it's difficult to process it and understand it when it's a younger person. That's for sure. Well, because it's not supposed to happen, right? And I think, and also if somebody dies with their own hand, it's not supposed to happen. You know, the question why, I always get that in my office, you know, why, I wish I did why, I wish I knew why, I wish I, you know, again, car accident, why, you know, we could all, we could resonate in why forever versus appreciating the gift and, you know, and, and also validating the loss of future, of that future picture. A lot of times it's just validating that for people. Yeah, you're right. You have absolutely every right to be upset that, you know, you know, as I look at my brother, he had never had children. You know, I, I struggle with, you know, those types of things. Again, never met my child. Yeah, absolutely. I struggle with those types of things. But do I stay stuck and resonate in it? No. You know, at this point, you know, and now again, appreciating, you know, my brother died in 1993. So I've had a long time to be able to work through this. And I also have a lot of, you know, experience in understanding psychology and psychology of death, loss, dying and those types of things. So those are, I think, tools that are to my advantage, if I could be frank. Um, but I certainly didn't have them in my 20s. And I was able to work through it and be reflective and look at it a little differently. So I think those are really important tools to have. And it's interesting that you talk about a celebrative life, because one of the things that my mother was very, very adamant on is that she not have a funeral. Um, she was a little bit of a crass woman. And she said, if I wasn't good enough to come and see you when I was alive, don't I don't want them to come and see me when I'm dead. <laughs> Um, so we actually had a, a wonderful celebrative life and uh, my mother was a ballroom dancer so we had you know karaoke was there it was an open free bar at the Moose Lodge uh, we had a PowerPoint presentation people told stories and ironically my children were quite young at the time my mother passed in 2010 and um, their only reflection of loss death and dying is my mother's 
uh, celebrative life. So when people die, they actually want to go to their services because they think it's a party and they think it's a celebration. And I, you know, in some ways I, I kind of love that because they're, you know, and I hope that as we move through time and recognize that a lot of that conformity of certain systems processes, i.e. funerals are process than actually valuing the person, you know, and, and I think part of that was her experience with my brother's loss as well, you know, and she, you know, and it's, it's interesting because the celebrative life definitely leaves a different stamp on the, the value and the life of the person lost versus walking through a lineup being very quiet, being very, you know, it just feels like it's, it's, you know, you, well, you know, you just walk into a funeral home, no disregard to them, you know, <laughs> by all means. Um, but it just, it, you know, you walk in and you can just feel that there's a conformity of, of a sense of, you know, um, uh, I don't know, uh, boundaries, right. That you, you know, and with a celebrative life, it's very different. Yeah. It's, um, you have to behave a certain way when you walk into a funeral home because everybody's expecting you, you know, and I always feel like I'm on display when I'm not the one that's, you know, on display. However, um, and you know that when my mother passed away last fall, the, the nursing home had a beautiful celebration of her life and the other members in, in the home that had passed away that year. And it was a beautiful thing to experience. It was sad but there's different circumstances around that, however, yep. but it, it actually helped me to gain some peace yep. towards her loss. And, you know, it's, I'm just, like you said, you know, before I'm grateful that she was in my life for the short amount of time she was. Mm -hmm. And that was fantastic. And being able to take a different perspective on the grief is good very helpful. Well, I think, and again, if you, I mean, if you study grief and loss and, and, you know, those types of things, you'll see that culturally it is a West, you know, part society, cultural value, right? And, you know, if you look at indigenous, uh, you know, uh, services, or if you, I should say services, uh, processes, if you look at, you know, different cultures, you'll see different aspects of, you know, dealing with death, dying and loss and survivor's guilt, right? And, uh, you know, and I think that we have um it's almost like we've plagued it as this you know this this conformity of of um sadness and of mourning you know and all you have to look you know if, all you have to do is meet a greek grandmother who has lost her partner and you'll see her in black for a year do you know what i mean like i think there's and i think there's value just to appreciate and recognizing that but also just you know um I, you know, I always say to my clients or to people I know, sometimes we need to acknowledge loss before loss has occurred. Oh, that's how, well, I think sometimes because we will, you know, we will be so avoidant, right? And especially when it comes to, you know, older um, you know, one of the things I have to appreciate is my, you know, as much as it was, you know, very difficult, I to have crucial conversations or those difficult and I think a lot of people will avoid that mm. so I was able to acknowledge he's dying I was able he was able to say yes I'm dying and you know we were able to acknowledge the if I could be frank the elephant in the room 
Yeah. And, and I think that we don't do that, right? Well, for, and again, I think part of this is society, social stigma norms. You know, we're going to go into the hospital room and we're going to uplift that person and, you know, pretend that they're going to live for another 20 or years when we know they're terminally sick with cancer, right? So I think it's about just acknowledging and valuing that and being okay with it. And I think as a society, we're not. We are not okay with loss. We are not okay with um, grief. And we have been taught certain perspectives should deal with those processes versus and and i do see us shifting um i think there's shifting and 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 there's also great value and validity in going through the grief process i'm typically talking post when we you know when we should be usually about a year year and a half through where we should be able to start being functionality and being in that place where you know we get back to our new normal we never get back to a normal but we get back to a new normal um you know and i have worked with people who have stayed stuck in that place for much longer and it's very unhealthy very debilitating and it can become um it becomes very you know depression and clinical challenges so we have to be i think that's the conscientious conscientious and recognize hence the acknowledgement yeah i'm going through grief and yeah it sucks and yes i don't like it and yeah i know it's hard for people around me and it's okay and acknowledging that yeah exactly and if we all said that you know just once it would be so much better because everybody would stop being so nervous about being around you or yes. around the person that's lost something. They would yes. understand maybe because we don't always know what to say. You always have the same static comments. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm give my condolences and that sort of thing. Yeah. But just sit down and acknowledge the person is going through yeah. something and you don't know how to deal with it. And that's okay. It's okay to be not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautifully yeah. said. I think there was a book written about that in 19... 19- <laughs> the first acknowledge of self seriously it's the first acknowledgement of self-esteem <coughs> yeah and it's true yeah. it's okay to not be okay um but i think western society wants to push us into these it's kind of like where we're at with with uh covid yes right you know i think it's 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 okay to not be okay during this yeah you know this is grief this is loss some people have lost their uh, you know their identity in work some people have lost their you know uh students have lost their identity in education um you know there's a lot of loss and grief going on right now and a great deal of uncertainty on what it's going to look like outside the other side so when we look at that it, there's a great you know there's a lot of correlation yeah. to kind of the unknowns and that's exactly what it is it's the unknown this is a new normal what does it look like and it's very similar to when you lose somebody, we don't know what it's going to look like, but it'll look like something and we'll get through it. And we're going to come out on the other side. And I hope at the end of the day, we learn something of value, positive, and that we can take away from stance, you know, and that's where, you know, especially, especially being a therapist working through COVID, you know, that's where I've been very self-reflective. Like I'm not, I'm a realist. I'm not going to move people through depression and anxiety when they have every right to be depressed and anxious right now. What I am going to do is give them hope and give them, you know, gratitude for the past and hope for the future. And let's stay present as much as we can where we are and grounded because we have a lot of unknowns and we don't know where that's going to, where that's going to come out. And we could, we could, we could catastrophize and fortune tell until the cows come home but if i could do that with all due respect i would have been winning the lottery last week <laughs> yeah the big <laughs> one. <laughs> oh i think we would have purchased a ticket together 
Um, well, so, that's, you know, I think, I think in the long and short of it, there's no real right or wrong answer. No. And I think that's, you know, you summed it up. It's okay to be not okay. Um, it just depends on how long we're not okay for. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a friend that always says it's, it's okay to not be okay today. Yes. Tomorrow will be different. Exactly. If exactly. we try to make it different and that's, Absolutely. you know, we just need to recognize, like you say, go through that, those three things, recognition, gratitude, and appreciation. And we can get through, we, we are stronger than we think we are in a lot of cases and we're more resilient than we believe we are. And, you know, it's just, we need to dive deep into something that's inside of us and pull it out and just, you know, say, I am okay today, yeah. but we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm not okay tomorrow, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Because I still have the next day. Um, as long as we're not, like I said, stuck in that. And that's, you know, I mean, my gauge, as you know, you know, in clinically is if you are, you know, if, if the grief and the loss is going to debilitate you to a point where you're not functioning, then that's when I get a little worried. Right. And that's, you know, and again, it's okay for one day, but it's not okay for every day. Yes. Like months and months. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, I think that's where we, you know, we get into more of that mental health, something there's usually something else going on beyond the grief, right? Usually, you know, grief typically doesn't, you know, turn into clinical depression. It's usually something that is already symptomatic there and the grief and the loss has triggered something else. Right. So, yeah. The catalyst um, for it. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's I, I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of memory books with people. I always encourage people to do, um, you know, storylines because again, sometimes their storylines of the loss is different than when the reality right yes. and so sometimes you know especially for younger kids if people are looking for tools great and we're, we're get away from we're, we're away from pictures now in the back of my in the day i used to do uh, photo albums and get people to write things out um but you know things like that to just memorialize people as well and i mean nowadays we have some amazing tools there are things like you know necklaces you can plant a tree you can have somebody made into a tree um you know there's a diamonds and you know you can have people made into a diet you know there are so many ways now i think to memorialize and to look at how we cope differently now with grief loss and, and bereavement right yeah and that that's all great information tammy thank you thank you so much for sharing <laughs> this with us i really do appreciate it and i think it's a perfect timing for this with everything that's going on in this world mm -hmm. and so it's okay for all of us to not be okay today absolutely let's see what tomorrow brings and try something new tomorrow it might bring you out and you know, just have a video call with somebody, mm -hmm. right? It just, yeah. it brightens your day. It's, yeah. uh, it's fantastic. Well, and you know me, I always recommend gratitude journals. I always recommend gratitude apps. There's a lot of apps out there. You know, people uh, nowadays, you can find anything on the internet. So if you're not sure, go to Play Store. And there's also actually apps that will help you move through grief and bereavement as well. Yes. Um, yeah. I've tried a couple of those and they're actually yeah. very good and yeah. very meaningful. Yeah. And, well, and, and again, I think it's a safe place to check in and not feel like you're, because again, we will also protect people around us, right? Yes. I, re I remember one of the things when, after my brother died, I could not have a conversation with my mother about it for years. Yep. And because I was so uncomfortable with triggering her grief. 
you know, so just again, acknowledging that. And, and so sometimes if, you know, I wish I would have had an app back then, <laughs> right? just to have someone to, you know, to kind of do that too, but there's lots of resources. And if, you know, if anybody is seeking more resources, they can certainly touch base with yourself and you obviously have access to, to myself and I can, if I can't find it, I will find somebody who will find it for you. Absolutely. And that's the beauty about this whole thing is we're sharing not only our wisdom, but our knowledge as well. And yeah. if there's someone out there that needs to get in touch with either Tammy or I, please do. We'll have the links and we'll have all the, uh, every, all Tammy's information included. And she's brilliant. Get in touch with her, get some more information. And she's also modest there. So <laughs> brilliant. Oh my goodness. Oh. My kids would love to hear that. Can you say that again? I just oh. need to get my kids out here. Well, we have it recorded. So that's yeah. good. Remind them. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Tammy. I do appreciate you being with us on Powering Through Life today. And I think I'd like to have you back again because there's a couple other subjects I think we could touch on that. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That sounds fantastic. Thanks very Thanks, much. Thanks, Teresa. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Bye now. Take care. Well, Davis, that brings to a close another great, inspiring interview on Powering Through Life. Thank you to my incredible guest for sharing your story with us. Divas, if you would like to connect with my guests, just go to divasthatcare.com, click on my picture at the top, that's Teresa Sims, and there you can access all of my interviews. Don't be shy, reach out if you have any questions, or simply just leave us a comment. Also, you can contact me at my website, that's teresasims.com. Thank you for listening to Powering Through Life on the Divas That Care Network. Thanks for listening. This show was brought to you by Divas That Care. Connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course on divasthatcare.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss a thing.